I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today's reading is Leviticus chapters 11 through 13. In Leviticus chapter 11, we have some food issues. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof, and is cloven-footed, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof, as the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the coney, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the swine, though he divide the hoof, and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean unto you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch, they are unclean to you. These shall ye eat, and all that are in the waters. Whatsoever hath fins and scales in the waters, in the seas, and in the rivers, them shall ye eat. And all that have not fins and scales in the seas, and in the rivers, of all that move in the waters, and of any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination unto you. They shall be even an abomination unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, but ye shall have their carcasses in abomination. Whatsoever hath no fins nor scales in the waters, that shall be an abomination unto you. And these are they which ye shall have an abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination, the eagle and the ossifrage and the osprey. And the vulture and the kite after his kind, every raven after his kind, and the owl, and the night hawk, and the cuckoo, and the hawk after his kind, and the little owl, and the cormorant, and the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the greer eagle, and the stork, the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat. All fowls that creep going upon all four shall be an abomination unto you. Yet these may ye eat of every flying creeping thing that goeth upon all four, which have legs above their feet, to leap withal upon the earth. Even these of them ye may eat, the locust after his kind, and the bald locust after his kind, and the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind. But all other flying creeping things which have four feet shall be an abomination unto you. For believers today, who still believe that we are supposed to keep the law of Moses as believers, try this chapter on for size. Leviticus 11 gives us a list of foods that the Hebrews were permitted to eat and another list that they were not permitted to eat. If you have Jewish acquaintances, you may have heard them referred to kosher foods. Kosher or kashrut comes from the Hebrew word kosher, which means fit, proper, or correct. The word kosher can also be used and often is used to describe ritual objects that are made in accordance with Jewish law and are fit for ritual service. I've provided a chart on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today to show you a breakdown of food that observant Jews today 
can eat and those that they cannot eat according to Old Testament law and rabbinical tradition. So the list is uh, there on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's um, for today's reading. You'll notice if you looked at that list that some of the foods mentioned are found in Leviticus chapter 11. For that reason, many Messianic Christians today support the observance of kosher laws as specified in Scripture, but not those foods which are not specified in Scripture. In other words, there are some rabbinical laws with regard to kosher and non-kosher foods that are practiced that these Christians who refer to themselves as Torah kosher are contrasting the practice of Torah kosher from rabbinical kosher as specified in the list that I have on BibleTrack.org for today's date. This more comprehensive list of foods came through rabbinical tradition rather than Old Testament scripture. And that's why they, believers today refer to that sometimes as Torah kosher. you also find a list of unclean and clean foods in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 3 through 21. By the way, the word abomination is used ten times in this passage with regard to the eating of certain foods. That's an interesting problem for those who insist that we, as Gentiles, are responsible for keeping God's law given to the Hebrews and yet do not follow these guidelines on diet. This designation of meat that is unclean, well, it's not new here. You'll recall that Adam and Eve apparently started out as vegetarians in Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. We see that there. Yet when Noah was loading the ark with animals, God gave specific ark-loading instructions to Noah regarding clean and unclean animals in Genesis chapter 7, verse 2. It's actually not until after the ark experience that we see the first occurrence of a meat diet per God's instructions. And we see that in Genesis chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. And that's part of the Noahic covenant. So the differentiation of which animals are okay to eat or not actually goes all the way back to Noah. Now in verses 24 to 40, we find some additions to this list. And we begin now with verse 24. And for these ye shall be unclean. Whosoever toucheth the carcass of them shall be unclean until the even. And whosoever beareth aught of the carcass of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. The carcasses of every beast which divideth the hoof and is not cloven-footed nor cheweth the cud are unclean unto you. Every one that toucheth them shall be unclean. And whatsoever goeth upon his paws among all manner of beasts that go on all four, those are unclean unto you. Whosoever toucheth their carcass shall be unclean until the even. And he that beareth the carcass of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. They are unclean unto you. These also shall be unclean unto you among the creeping things that creep upon the earth, the weasel and the mouse and the tortoise after his kind, and the ferret and the chameleon and the lizard and the snail and the mole. These are unclean unto you among all that creep. Whosoever doth touch them... When they be dead, shall be unclean until the even. And upon whatsoever any of them, when they are dead, doth fall, it shall be unclean. Whether it be any vessel of wood, or raiment, or skin, or sack, whatsoever vessel it be, wherein any work is done, it must be put into water, and it shall be unclean until the even, so it shall be cleansed. And every earthen vessel, whereinto any of them falleth, whatsoever is in it shall be unclean, and ye shall break it. Of all meat which may be eaten, that on which such water 
cometh shall be unclean. And all drink that may be drunk in every such vessel shall be unclean. And everything whereupon any part of their carcass falleth shall be unclean, whether it be oven or ranges for pots, they shall be broken down, for they are unclean, and shall be unclean unto you. Nevertheless, a fountain or pit, wherein there is plenty of water, shall be clean. But that which toucheth their carcass shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass fall upon any sowing seed which is to be sown, it shall be clean. But if any water be put upon the seed, and any part of their carcass fall thereon, it shall be unclean unto you. And if any beast of which ye may eat die, he that toucheth the carcass thereof shall be unclean until the even. And he that eateth the carcass of it shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. He also that beareth the carcass of it shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. We see here that it's also interesting to note that the Hebrews are told that they are considered unclean until evening if they even touch the carcass of an unclean animal. That instruction first appears in this chapter in verse 8, but it's repeated with great detail over and over again in verses 24 through 40. That means for the remainder of the day, after touching the carcass of an unclean animal, the Hebrew was not to make physical contact with another Hebrew, not until that day had passed. you also notice the discussion of unclean animals coming into contact with vessels. The considerations in view here revolve around whether or not the vessels have porosity and whether or not they are wet or dry. These very detailed regulations are provided as guidelines to prevent their cookware from absorbing the impurities of unclean animals. We have the wrap-up on unclean animals in verses 41 to 47 here. Verse 41. And every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatsoever goeth upon the belly, and whatsoever goeth upon all four, or whatsoever hath more feet among all creeping things that creep upon the earth, them ye shall not eat, for they are an abomination. Ye shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall ye make yourselves unclean with them, that ye should be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy, neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beast, and of the fowl, and of every living creature that moveth in the waters, and every creature that creepeth upon the earth, to make a difference between the unclean and the clean, and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. These last seven verses that we just read make a strong emphasis regarding the importance of these unclean animal mandates. You can see how much emphasis is placed upon them for the Hebrews. It's an inseparable part of the Mosaic Law. Peter actually quotes from Leviticus chapter 11 verses 44 and 45 when he says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 the following, But as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Then we have some interesting specifications for childbearing women in Leviticus chapter 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed, 
and born a man-child, then shall she be unclean seven days according to the days of the separation, for her infirmity shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, then shall she be unclean two weeks, as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying threescore and six days. And when the days of purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest, who shall offer it before the Lord, and make an atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles, or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering, and the other for the sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. You'll notice that the period of ceremonial cleanness here, in other words, no contact with sacred things, that period for the Hebrew women after bearing a male child was 40 days, but 80 days after bearing a female child. We don't know why the difference. you also notice that during the first seven days for a male child and 14 days for a female, no contact was to be made by the mother with others whatsoever. She was considered altogether unclean. It seems apparent that God gave the Jews a heads up on a disease that claimed the lives of as many as 20% of all women who bore children prior to the 19th century. This disease was called childbed fever back then, and today is known as puerperal fever. It was observed that women who were isolated from others, in other words, home deliveries, rarely were infected, but women who went to a hospital for delivery had the highest incident of death from this disease. After extended research in the 19th century by a Hungarian doctor, the disease he was able to determine was because of the contact with others after childbirth that caused the women to contract an infection which was often fatal. He discovered that the use of soap and water was not sufficient to remove dangerous bacteria from the hands of hospital staff, those people who were caring for these women after childbirth. This greater contact of these new mothers with people increased the likelihood that they had of contracting this disease. The extended period of ceremonial uncleanness for the women after the 7 or 14 days of total isolation was probably as much for the benefit of the child as for the mother. During this extended period of time, her contact with others in public places was significantly reduced, even though she was not totally isolated. This disease... Purpural fever still exists today, though it's uncommon due to the use of antibacterial soaps and gloves. However, millennia before the use of special soaps and gloves, God knew that the best way to protect moms and babies was just to keep them isolated for several days after childbirth. It is ironic that in order to do so, the women were declared to be unclean, and not the actual unclean people who were really causing the problems. Well, whatever, the moms were protected. This childbearing sacrifice at the end of the 40 or 80 days substantially increased the workload of the priest. 
If you consider the sacrifices given here to be made by the mother after bearing a child based on the estimated number of women bearing children during that period, let's say 600,000 or so women, you can imagine how busy the priests were at the tabernacle for just this sacrifice alone. Let's face it, priesting was an all-day job. I mean, a tedious job. At the end of the purification day, she brought a sacrifice to the priest to complete her cleansing process. The offering was to be a lamb, or in the case of those who were poor, two turtles, really they're turtle doves or doves, or two pigeons. Incidentally, we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 24, that Joseph and Mary brought birds to sacrifice after the birth of Jesus instead of a lamb. This speaks to the fact that Joseph and Mary were not people of wealth. Then we have in chapter 13, laws regarding the containment of leprosy. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh rising a scab or a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy, and the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. If the bright spot be white in the skin of his flesh, and in the sight be not deeper than the skin, and the hair thereof be not turned white, then the priest shall shut him up that hath the plague seven days. And the priest shall look on him the seventh day, and behold, if the plague in his sight be at a stay, and the plague spread not in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up seven days more. And the priest shall look on him again the seventh day, and behold, if the plague be somewhat dark, and the plague spread not in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is but a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spread much abroad in the skin, after that he hath been seen of the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen of the priest again. And if the priest see that, behold, the scab spreadeth in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean, it is a leprosy. When the plague of a leprosy is in a man, then he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall see him, and behold, if the rising be white in the skin, and if it have turned the hair white, there be a quick raw flesh in the rising. It is an old leprosy in the skin of his flesh, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean, and shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprosy break out abroad in the skin, and the leprosy cover all the skin of him that hath the plague from his head even unto his foot, wheresoever the priest looketh, then the priest shall consider, and behold, if the leprosy have covered all his flesh, he shall pronounce him clean that hath the plague. It is all turned white, he is clean. But when raw flesh appeareth in him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall see the raw flesh, and pronounce him to be unclean. For the raw flesh is unclean, it is a leprosy. Or if the raw flesh turn again, and be changed into white, he shall come into the priest, and the priest shall see him. And behold, if the plague be turned into white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean that hath the plague, he is clean. The flesh also, in which even in the skin thereof was a boil, and is healed, and in the place of the boil there be a white rising, or a bright spot, white and somewhat reddish, and it be showed to the priest, and if when the priest seeth it, behold, it be in the sight lower than the skin, and the hair thereof be turned white, the priest shall pronounce him unclean, 
It is a plague of leprosy broken out of the boil. But if the priests look on it, and behold, there be no white hairs therein, and if it be not lower than the skin, but be somewhat dark, then the priest shall shut him up seven days. And if it spread much abroad in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a plague. But if the bright spot stay in his place and spread not, it is a burning boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or if there be any flesh in the skin whereof there is a hot burning, and the quick flesh that burneth have a white bright spot, somewhat reddish or white, then the priest shall look upon it. And behold, if the hair in the bright spot be turned white, and if it be in the sight deeper than the skin, it is a leprosy broken out of the burning, whereof the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is the plague of leprosy. But if the priest look on it, and behold, there be no white hair in the bright spot, and it be no lower than the other skin, but be somewhat dark, then the priest shall shut him up seven days. And the priest shall look upon him the seventh day, and if it be spread much abroad in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is the plague of leprosy. And if the bright spot stay in his place, and spread not in the skin, but it be somewhat dark, it is a rising of the burning, and the priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is an inflammation of the burning. If a man or a woman have a plague upon the head or the beard, then the priest shall see the plague, and behold, if it be in the sight deeper than the skin, and there be in it a yellow thin hair, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a dry skull, even leprosy upon the head or beard. And if the priest look on the plague of the skull, and behold, it be not in the sight deeper than the skin, and that there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut him up that hath the plague of the skull seven days. And in the seventh day the priest shall look on the plague, and behold, if the skull spread not, and there be in it no yellow hair, and the skull be not in sight deeper than the skin, he shall be shaven, but the skull shall he not shave. And the priest shall shut him up that hath the skull seven days more. And in the seventh day the priest shall look on the skull, and behold, if the skull be not spread in the skin, nor be in the sight deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the skull spread much in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall look on him, and behold, if the skull be spread in the skin, the priest shall not seek for yellow hair, he is unclean. But if the skull be in his sight at a stay, and that there is a black hair grown up therein, the skull is healed, he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. If a man also or a woman have in the skin of their flesh bright spots, even white bright spots, then the priest shall look, and behold, if the bright spots in the skin of their flesh be darkish white, it is a freckled spot that groweth in the skin, he is clean. And the man whose hair has fallen off his head, he is bald, yet he is clean. And he that hath his hair fallen off from the part of his head toward his face, he is forehead bald, yet is he clean. And if there be in the bald head or bald forehead a white reddish sore, it is a leprosy sprung up in his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall look upon it, and behold, if the rising of the sore be white reddish in his bald head or in his bald forehead, as the leprosy appeareth in the skin of the flesh, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean, his plague is in his head. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. 
He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. Well, as you can see, on top of everything else the priest had to do, they also served as health inspectors. This chapter deals with the dreaded disease of leprosy. Yes, that's right. The priests were responsible for protecting the Israelites from the contagious spreading of leprosy. In this chapter, directions are given on how the priest is to do just that. These detailed descriptions of oozing skin disorders might just take away your appetite. By the way, our word leprosy comes from a Greek word lepra, which means a scaliness. The descriptions in Leviticus chapter 13 may include more contagious skin ailments than just our modern formal definition for leprosy. But leprosy is the most descriptive word we have in English for the assortment of skin maladies being described in this passage. Really, any skin abnormality was tested by the priest, and those with perceived contagious skin diseases were quarantined. We have the description of the disease as well as the regulations connected with it in Leviticus chapter 13. And that continues on into Leviticus chapter 14. We see the regulations actually even applied to Miriam, who was Moses' sister in Numbers chapter 12, verses 10 to 15. There were reckoned six different circumstances under which it might develop itself. In verses 2 through 8, without any apparent cause... In verses 9 through 17, when it reappears. In verses 18 to 28, from an inflammation. In verses 29 to 37, on the head or chin. In verses 38 and 39, in white polished spots. And verses 40 to 44, at the back or in the front of the head. Lepers were required to live outside the camp or city. We see that in Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Numbers chapter 12, verses 10 to 15. This disease was regarded as an awful punishment from the Lord. Naaman, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7, if you recall, had leprosy. And King Uzziah, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 20. As far as the Jewish perception of leprosy being an awful punishment from the Lord, I'm certain that Miriam in Numbers chapter 12, verses 10 to 15, would agree with that assessment after she had expressed criticism of her brother Moses. As banished from the congregation of Israel for a period of infection, there was a code of conduct to which the leper must adhere. According to verses 45 and 46, whenever the leper saw someone approaching, the leper must warn that person by crying, Unclean! Unclean! Now, in verses 47 to 59, we see what's to be done with the leper's clothing. Verse 47, the garment also that the plague of leprosy is in, whether it be a woolen garment or a linen garment, whether it be in the warp or woof of linen or of a woolen, whether it in a skin or in anything made of skin, and if the plague be greenish or reddish in the garment or in the skin, either in the warp or in the woof or in anything of skin, it is a plague of leprosy and shall be showed unto the priest. And the priest shall look upon the plague and shut it up that hath the plague seven days and he shall look on the plague on the seventh day if the plague be spread in the garment either in the warp or in the woof or in a skin or in any work that is made of skin the plague is a fretting leprosy it is unclean he shall therefore burn that garment whether warp or woof in woolen or in linen or in anything of skin wherein the plague is for it is a fretting leprosy it shall be burnt in the fire 
And if the priest shall look, and behold, the plague be not spread in the garment, either in the warp, or in the wolf, or in any thing of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing wherein the plague is, and he shall shut it up seven days more. And the priest shall look on the plague, after that it is washed, and behold, if the plague have not changed its color, and the plague be not spread, it is unclean. Thou shalt burn it in the fire, it is fret inward, whether it be bare within or without. And if the priest look, and behold, the plague be somewhat dark after the washing of it, then he shall rend it out of the garment, or out of the skin, or out of the warp, or out of the wolf. And if it appears still in the garment, either in the warp, or in the wolf, or in anything of skin, it is a spreading plague, thou shalt burn that wherein the plague is with fire. And the garment, either warp or wolf, or whatsoever thing of skin it be, which thou shalt wash, if the plague be departed from them, then it shall be washed the second time, and shall be clean. This is the law of the plague of leprosy in a garment of woolen or linen, either in the warp or woof or uh, anything of skins, to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. Verses 47 to 59 deal with the infected garments of the leper. Of course, they were unclean also and had to be dealt with according to these specifications. Now, having read this chapter, let's consider the implications of Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. That verse says this, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now, notice, these filthy rags are certainly the rags of lepers used to wrap their skin. How's that for filthy? You'll see from these 59 verses that God gave the Hebrews exhaustive, specific instructions on evaluating skin diseases. For the safety of others, isolation was the only remedy until it could be determined that they were disease-free. I do find verse 40 amusing. That's the verse that says, And the man whose hair has fallen off his head, he is bald, yet he is clean. But what about the man who has a receding hairline? Well, verse 41 deals with that where it says, And he that hath his hair fallen off from the part of his head toward his face... He is forehead bald, yet he is clean. It stops being amusing between verses 42 and 44. That man lost his hair because of leprosy. By the way, here are some guys who were thankful to be bald. In other words, sometimes you don't have leprosy at all. You're just bald. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.